0: One of the things uh, i've I've had in the back burner of of my life is i've I've kind of wanted to write a book on the on the book of Proverbs. Uh, ever since I was in high school, I always thought it would be really good if I could become wise uh, through godly wisdom, since the task I'm looking at doing requires a lot of it. And um, when we look at going to Gabon, Africa and not having, a bunch of other independent fundamental Baptists right next door where we can fellowship and ask advice from and get answers. Now, the Internet is great for some of those things, but even the Internet isn't faithful over in Africa. Um, You know, I understand the challenges that... I understand the challenges that uh, some pastors have and and such, um, but you can imagine a missionary not having those close friends right there on the field. Um, you know, we have Brother Paul Meyer and, and Pastor Townsley just down the road, and we all have the pastor friends and such. But imagine uh, being the only Baptist preacher in, in America, or at least in New England, and how lonely that would kind of be. So I needed, I needed wisdom, and I thought, well, I, if I could write a book on, on wisdom, then maybe God would give me wisdom while I wrote it. Um, I've, I've not written the book yet, Um It is on the back burner. I can say it's more done today than it was back then. Um, But it it drove me to study out Proverbs quite a bit. And so when Pastor uh, called me up and asked me if I would uh, preach, I thought, well, I'm going to preach on one of two things. I'm going to preach about spiritual soul liberty or individual soul liberty or, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm teasing you from Sunday morning. I'm sorry. Um, I shouldn't do that. I thought I'd I'd introduce the book of Proverbs um, and the wisdom that that I have found, at least in the introduction to the book, and uh, hopefully I'll get your taste buds going so that it'll spark your own individual study uh, of the book of Proverbs, that no matter what age you are, you can always apply it to your life and be the better for it. Uh, So I'll begin reading. We're only going to read the first um, seven verses. We'll pray and go from there. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity. To give, to give subtlety, or subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and the dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Dear Heavenly Father, All wisdom comes from you. All good gifts come from you. Does not mean you are a spiritual Santa Claus. It's just that you are the owner and creator of all things. So anything that we have had to come from you anyway. But it means something special when we ask for it and in faith we receive it by your hand. So Lord, as we now, as we're we're praying and we're asking that you would, would bless us, Help us to to know how to pray and when to pray. And and Lord, how, how will we know what your will is for our life? How will we know the way which we are to walk if we don't pray? Satan can twist words and can twist things, but if we don't have that fellowship with you, how will we know? Lord, it's not just prayer we need. We also need the constant abiding of your Holy Spirit. There are so many Christians that, they don't know what it's like and for, for sake of sounding almost mystical, they don't know what it's like to walk in the garden with you. They don't know what it's like to sit at your throne room. They don't know what it's like to walk with you hand in hand. They go their whole life never experiencing the constant abiding of the Holy Spirit in their life and they forsake even the power Lord, we, we have to have the power of your word. We have to have the power of your Holy Spirit here in this meeting. This is a strategy meeting we're holding here tonight. There is power in prayer. Give us power to, to do what we learn, to live it out, to be more like Christ. We know that the wisdom and power you have is boundless, and you promise to give it freely according to your will and according to your way. We ask these things. In your son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us and who told us to ask you for these things. So in fulfillment of his request, we do apply this new request that you give us new understanding, you give us new wisdom and a new taste and experience of your abiding presence, power, wisdom in our lives so that we can carry out your will and your way. But Lord, don't give it to us if we don't ask in faith. Don't give it to us if we don't ask. Don't give it to us if we don't pray and spend time with you. For then we will foolishly waste it on our own lusts. Lord, let that not be said of anyone here. Again, we ask these things in Christ our Savior's name. Amen. I learned this morning that a rather prominent wise man of our day has just come to the shocking realization that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of all, that he is God, that there is none beside him, that he judges the quick and the dead. And a sad fact is that although now he believes in Jesus Christ, he unfortunately will be judged as one who never received him. For those of you who aren't caught up with the news, Stephen Hawking's died yesterday. The man in the wheelchair, the brilliant mathematician, guy who held the uh, professor uh, academic chair at Cambridge for over uh, seven or eight years now. Uh, He died yesterday. The world says, oh, he was a brilliant man. He was a smart man. And you can look over his life and there were things, you know, things that he did and things that he accomplished and And things that he's proud of. And I was really sad to hear it because in the past few years he was starting to turn back to understanding that when you look at the deep things of this world, you cannot help but see the Creator through them. And he was beginning to change a little bit, but as far as my knowledge is, he is in hell today. He is in hell this very minute. Well, someone could come to me and tell me, oh, he received Christ on his deathbed. Well, if it's true, then I'm, I'm glad for it, but I won't believe it because the legacy of such a man still exists and his legacy does not bode well for the Christian, especially in the academic areas there in England where he worked. But wise men have always, there have been wise men throughout every age, some of them good, some of them bad. There have been men who have claimed great wisdom and people who have come to them for uh, understanding. We, As far as academically speaking, we can look at uh, Galileo and Newton and Einstein. Um, you know, it's almost an insult to be called an Einstein. You know, okay, Einstein. You know, if I could be Einstein, that'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? You know, he's, he's so smart, he could make a lie and make you believe it. Uh, he'd be the perfect car salesman. And... Um, but there are people out there who, who have this false earthly wisdom, and then you have people like Solomon, and and you know the story of Solomon. He was a young he's a young boy basically when he is made king over Israel. And when he is made king over Israel, he goes up into the high places to offer an offering unto the Lord. And while he is up there, now he's sleeping, the Lord comes to him in a dream and he says, if you will ask of me one thing, I will give it to you. And, he, and Solomon said, if you will give me wisdom to govern this, thy people, that is what I will request. And it pleased the Lord so much that instead of asking for wealth, that instead of asking for fame or victory in battle, that he would ask for wisdom to exact judgment. God says, not only will I give you wisdom and make you the wisest man ever, I I have to correct myself, he was the wisest sinner who ever lived. Jesus Christ, we believe, is also 100% man. So I can't say he's the wisest man because Jesus was the wisest man. But by default, he was the wisest sinner who ever walked upon the face of the earth. And because he asked for wisdom, God also gave him all those other things. And when you look at the life of Solomon and the one who wrote some of these Proverbs and how he came to some of these things, it becomes completely shocking to you. Or at least to me it did. You see we understand that there's about 613 laws that were given to the Jewish people. Some of them were ceremonial. Some of them were customary. Some of them were dietary. There's the whole list that were given to the Jewish people as a way to set them apart from the other nations that they called the heathen nations of the world. And and these laws, if you followed some of their dietary and, and Cleanliness laws would help you out today immensely because God knew how things worked. And he gave laws not to keep people uh, you know, in a little box where he could control their every move, but to keep them from all the dangers that were out there. You know, it's someone's trying saying, oh, look, there's a fence, they're trying to keep me in, not really realizing it's a guardrail to keep you from falling off the cliff. And that's what God's laws and rules are. Well, when you look at the book of Proverbs, and, and there's a lot of different Proverbs. I mean, you have Proverbs from Sudan. You have Proverbs from uh, Confucius. And you have Proverbs from Japan. And you know, you have Proverbs from all different cultures have their Proverbs. A lot of them are what they call the dark sayings. When we look at the Hebrew word for proverb, it means to govern and to rule primarily to rule one's own life. So when we look at, at the difference between the Proverbs, like uh, the Japanese proverb, even monkeys fall out of trees, and of course the implication being, you know, you can be good at something and still fail miserably at it. Um, when we look at the Proverbs that Solomon wrote, and later two of, his, two of his associates would write in the latter parts of the book, when we look at them, a lot of them are very clear. It's not confusing what he's trying to make, what he's trying to say. I mean, you have the whole proverb there about, go to the ant thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. For she gathereth her food and she stores up. I mean, there's a whole, whole big thing. Now, it doesn't take very much to understand that proverb. I think Aesop kind of took that one and made the uh, ant and the grasshopper. Anyone here know the story of the ant and the grasshopper? One of us, okay. Same principle. Um, You know, the the ant worked all summer and gathered food, and then through the winter, he had food in abundance. The grasshopper played all summer and didn't do anything. When the winter came, he starved. Uh, That's, I think Aesop made that one up. If not, I just did right now, and I'll take credit for it later. Um, But that all aside, when we look at the Proverbs in this book, they're very clear. Um, I'm trying to figure out how, how deep I want to go into this, and I'm trying to stay very, very surface-y, um, not, not, for, not because I don't believe you can handle it, but because I don't believe the time could handle it. Um, when we look at these Proverbs, a lot of them, they're just right there, they say exactly what it is, And you can clearly understand what it's being said instead of having to get a Ph.D. and a PhD and every other degree till you're a thermometer to understand it. God made them so that you could read these things and understand them. And the very first thing that he writes, the very first proverb, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. One of the thoughts I had when I thought about writing a book on the book of Proverbs was I want to get this into such a, a little package that it would be almost like a grad, one of those famous graduation gifts for someone going out of high school, graduating from high school, either looking at college or a trade school. I said, this is a book you need because this book will help you. And unless they're a Christian, they're going to read the very first proverb in there and they're going to throw it out because without God in the equation... Life has no purpose. Without God in the equation, there is no knowledge. And the Bible even says in Romans that those that reject God, those that, the Bible says, they hold the truth and unrighteousness and the word hold there, it means they suppress it. They hold it down. They don't want to acknowledge the truth. The Bible says to those type of people, God gave a reprobate mind and they're in full, and they're foolish hearts were darkened and their understanding became vanity. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So you have a man like Stephen Hawking who even though his first wife Jane was saved and she helped spare his life, everyone else told when he was, uh, when he was in Geneva back in, back in the uh, late 60s, he came down with the pneumonia, and they had to do, they were gonna either keep him on life support or the, he'd have to have an emergency tracheotomy, which they put the hole here so his, he could breathe again. And all the doctors saying, you know, he's already got ALS. We don't know how many more years he's got to live. Just take him off life support, let him die. And his wife was the one who had, this, who had the say, and she said, no, give him the tracheotomy, let him live. He actually, Stephen Hawking came through that and actually turned his back on, on Jane for making that decision. Um, he divorced her and left her and, the, and their three children and went on to marry a second, a second lady who he didn't even spend more than three years with and left her because second marriages hardly ever work as good as the first one would in the in broad spectrum of things. Again, that's neither here nor there, but you have men like that who say, God is not part of my equation there is a thing called the Hawking's equation it tries to measure how much uh, gamma radiation gets thrown out of black holes well there's a problem with that no one's ever been able to experiment with black holes you can't touch a black hole you can't see a black hole it's not observable it's not testable it's it's really not scientific But he came up with a scientific equation called the Hawking's equation. And he he wrote in his book, A Brief History of My Life, um, that's what he wants on his tombstone, is the Hawking equation. So it's erroneous there, and his whole life was erroneous. You have men like that who said, God's not part of my equation, and what are they now? Where are they now? Job wrote in um, the book of Job, um, obviously, well, anyway. In Job chapter 10, and I believe it's verse 10. Don't quote me on this. It's either 10.10 10 or chapter 14.10. I think it's 10.10. 10, where he says, man dieth, yea, he giveth up the ghost, and where is he? He says he, what? Oh, thank you. All right, you can quote her on that because she looked it up. So, Joe, for, could you read that aloud for me, for us? Or have him read it? Oh, he's not there yet. Okay. We'll wait. The rest of you don't have to turn there. He's doing it for you. But man died and wasted man up the And where is he? Stephen Hawking, he died. He wastes away. He's been wasting away for quite a few years. Yea, he gave up the ghost yesterday. Where is he now? Where is he? Well, if he did not accept Jesus Christ as his savior, there's only one place he can end up. It's got to be an awful thing. And, and I'm running out of time, and I need to get to actually my three points. I haven't even touched my three points yet. It's got to be an awful thing not to hear yourself speak, but to have something else speak for you for some 50 years. And then overnight, the only thing now you can hear is your own self screaming in agony. And to hear the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. That's got to be an awful experience. A terrifying experience. Here's a man who had everything. Well, he didn't have everything. But as far as the acad- academia was concerned, he had arrived. He was there. I mean, he, he even had guest appearances on TV shows. I mean, he, he was there. And now Jove says, where is he now? And you know where he is now. With 99.99% certainty, unless he, at his deathbed, I highly doubt it. You get people that are so far gone, like Stalin, their last act is they raise their fist up to God, and then they die. Where are they? So, the first proverb that we really come to is the fear of the the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Again, without God in the equation, there is no knowledge. Without God's knowledge, there obviously is no wisdom. You get foolish things. And this obviously is the case when you go to things like um, marriage counseling with an unbiblical view of it. Even some quote-unquote Christian counselors if you, if you go to a Christian counselor that charges you money, there's already a problem. When you become that person's living, they want you to come back. They need you to come back. When you get... a A Christian man or a Christian lady here in the church, and you know that they love you, they know, you know that they care for you and care for your soul, and you know that they walk with God, and they're the ones who have to give you counseling, as the Bible tells us, that the older women are to counsel the younger women, and the older men the younger men. They'd one, they don't take money for it, and two, they want the problem solved. They're not going to if you're having trouble being faithful to your spouse, they're not going to tell you, "Oh, go have an affair." You do understand that's what some counselors are telling their people. "I'm having trouble. I'm having thoughts about other women." "Oh, well, just go have an affair. Just leave your wife for a for a month or so and go live with another woman. That'll take care of it." Where's the wisdom? There's no wisdom. Where is the knowledge? There is no knowledge. Where is the fear of God? Well, there was the key. They didn't have the fear of God. You see, the Bible says that's an abomination in the sight of God. The Bible says if a man looketh on a woman to lust after, he hath committed adultery already in his heart. So we just compound it by actually having him carry out the physical act, Right? No. There is a fear of God that is missing in the lives of Christians. It's an awful thing, one man said, to fall into the hands of an angry God. And while he spoke primarily to the lost, degenerate world, you understand as Christians that God is not a respecter of persons. For whatsoever a man soweth, be he a preacher, an evangelist, a missionary, a layman, or someone who only comes to church once in their life. It applies to all of them. If they reap to the flesh, or they sow to their flesh, they will of the flesh reap corruption. It doesn't matter who you are. That is an awful thing. I would like to say, because we're Christians, Because we come to church or pastor, because we're ministers, God gives us a little bit more leniency. The opposite is actually true. The Bible says, be not many masters, for you know that we shall receive the greater condemnation. You see, those who don't stand behind this pulpit and preach never get judged by God himself about what they say behind the pulpit. It is an awful thing. It is a fearful thing. It is a fearful thing to think my wife and I are going to be the first Baptist missionaries to go into a country and to start a church. One of the only churches that's actually preaching salvation through Jesus Christ alone. And that this salvation is kept by God himself and that you cannot forfeit it via not coming to church next Sunday. Now, I want people to come to church on Sunday. You know, I'm not gonna turn their salvation into a hostage situation. But there are faiths out there that do that. There are faiths out there that hold their people hostage and will hold their loved ones hostage. That if you don't do what they say, then you and your loved ones will pay the price. You understand, those are the, there are faiths out there that do that. It is an awful, awful, terrible thing to be a preacher of the word of God. Now, it's also a very great thing. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. But there is a fear in our lives of God that is grossly missing. That's, pastor, to be quite honest, I'm not preaching on individual soul liberty, but that's the problem of individual soul liberty. People wanna talk about, well, is this music okay? Or is this dress code okay? Or is this hairstyle okay? Or is this tattoo okay? Or is this okay? It doesn't matter! If you have no fear of God, you've already done it. Now I hope, Someone shocks you enough to pull you back. But the dress standard isn't really the issue here. It is your heart that you have not right before God. And until you get your heart right, it doesn't matter what you do because everyone on this earth will look at your outside, but God will look at your heart. So you can come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, special meetings. You can give to the offering. You can give to special speakers. You can buy the DVDs and the CDs when the music people come. But if you're not right in your heart and you don't have love for God and for his people, it accomplishes you nothing. There is a gross lack of of fear because you don't see God as the host of armies. You don't hear messages how God told his people, if you follow my commandments, I will bless you. But if you turn away from my commandments, I will set all these curses upon you. You wanna talk about the love of God. Well, the love of God keeps you from sinning. If you love me, keep my So what do you do if you hate God? Is it not logical to assume that you just don't keep his commandments? That is why when he talks, when Jesus himself talks about the people who he's gonna cast away on the day of judgment, he says, depart from, or I never knew you, first of all, because let's be honest, they never spend a day or an hour with Christ. They come here and they sing songs like, sweet hour of prayer sweet hour of prayer and they're lying through their teeth the whole time. Because they've never spent an hour in prayer. They have no idea what that's like. They they won't even know how to do it. Now part of that falls on people like me because I've I've not really discipled that many people on how to pray. That's my fault. But there's no walk with God. There's no understanding of who he is. And when you don't understand, you, you, you really do make an idol in your mind, an image, you call it Jesus, and it's not Jesus. And you would rather worship and serve that. And it looks like Jesus because he matches the things that you want to believe out of this book, but He's not really the Jesus of the Bible. There's a lot of people who do that. Well, my Jesus would never send anyone to hell. Well, my Bible tells me that there's a God who sits on a throne and judges and He's going to take people, and he's going to cast them into lake of fire. So I'm sorry, your Jesus doesn't match this Jesus. There's an awful, terrible thing. and that fear should compel us to live righteously, to live sober. When you look at God and you begin to understand he can take our life like that and he's perfectly just in doing so. You say, God, I need to get to Africa. You understand God could kill me before I'm done here tonight and he'd be perfectly just in doing so. Perfectly just. Wholly perfectly just in making that call. I don't wanna die. I want to go to heaven, but I'd like to accomplish some more things. I'd, I'd like to bring some more souls with me. But there's a fear of God that's grossly lacking in our, in our lives. And I think it's surprising that that's the first thing Solomon ever touches. It's the very first thing. Quickly, I've got two other points and I'll just, I'll just tap and go, tap and go. When it comes to pursuing God and and godly wisdom, you you ultimately come to the crossroads in 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 this pursuit. This this crossroad you will ultimately come to is you will read something like this, and you will come to the proverb, and you'll say, "Okay, it says this. Will I become wiser or will I sin?" It's not do I do it or do I not do it. It's do I grow or do I sin? For you see, the Bible says for him to knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. When you pursue God, especially if you ever read a book that I write, if I ever do read a book, you're either gonna leave that book wiser and if you read the book of Proverbs itself, you'll either come out of, this book, wiser, better, holier, more sanctified, or you'll come away with it sinning even worse than when you started. Now, there's a fear that goes along with that, too. I don't have time. Just a fear of, you know, do I take that first step knowing that I'm either gonna leave this journey better or I'm gonna leave it worse. But you cannot come out the same you went in. It's impossible. Absolutely impossible. That's why when you have someone say, you know, that someone says, oh, I got saved, and they live the same way they lived before, mm, impossible, absolutely impossible. You say, oh, well, are you judging that person? Jesus said to judge them. He said, by their fruits, you shall know them. Well, their fruit, and oh, you're judging that person. God told me to do that. Now, I'm not condemning them. I'm just simply saying, Based upon your fruit, I'm pretty sure you're not saved. If anything, your heart certainly isn't right before God. You have no fear of God before your eyes. And you're going to do whatever is right in your own eyes. Oh, that's funny. Isn't that how the children of Israel went in circles? There was no fear of God in their eyes. So they just, everyone did what they wanted. Spiritual soul liberty. I'm stepping off of it, Pastor. I'm stepping off of it. So you either either pursue God, you will either grow in wisdom, or you will grow to sin more. You You cannot stay in the middle. And lastly, God wants to give you wisdom. He doesn't want the simple to stay simple. He wants you to become wise. He wants you to grow in wisdom. He wants you to grow in the knowledge and truth of his son. He wants that for you. And in fact, the Bible, if you, if you believe what the Bible says, that God has actually prepared works for us to do after salvation. See, we were created in his, into his image that we should walk after his likeness and that he's prepared a way for us to walk, but you can't walk it in the flesh. He has gifted you with spiritual blessings. He has enabled you through the Holy Spirit, and he's given you a path that you can walk. Now, it doesn't take you all over the world like it might for some. But He's given you a path and a race that is set before you. You are to run it, laying aside those sins which doth so easily beset us. Lay those things aside and run with patience. He wants you to do it. He is enabling you to do it. And James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not. And it shall be given him. He wants you to be wise. He wants you to grow. He wants you to know his blessing and his truth. I've taken an interest in poetry as well. I'm not sure how much poetry would be in my book. There's not even a book yet, so I'm not even sure if there'll be a book. But there are some... Poetry on, on wisdom, I, I picked one. It has four stanzas. for sake of time. I'll just read two and then I'll pray. And, and I, hope, I hope you will take something out of this to heart. But it says, O Lord, make me ever wiser as I apply thy word to life. Bring it forth, O spring, a geyser. Thou balm, my answer to all strife. Lord, from depths that I've never known in chasms where thy bedrock be, to heights above thy very throne, thy wisdom measure out to me. And the, the writer of this also goes on to talk about how God measured out the oceans in the palm of his hand and, and measured out the stars with a span. So measure out thy wisdom for me. Dear Father, Let there be fear of you in our eyes. We we can only look back and see some of the things that were awful and terrible that have happened because of man's sin. When man turned against you and rebelled, you sent the flood. Then man turned against you again and you sent confusion at the Tower of Babel. And so man always has just left you. They've had no fear of you and they've, then continue to do whatever is right in their own eyes. Lord, as long as we live like that, there will be no wisdom. There will be no knowledge for us. You will show us great and mighty things which we don't know, but yet if we don't obey them, you will never show us the next step. So it is in all of our lives with your will. If we don't take the next step in faith, whatever it may be, if we don't obey the light that you've given to us, you won't give us more. We may ask for it, but... Why give us another steak when we haven't eaten the one in front of us? Lord, help us to grow. Help us to know your will and your way for our lives. Help us to be better in sharing the gospel. Help us to pursue the lost souls, for the Bible does say that he that winneth souls is wise and shall shine like the stars of heaven. Lord, we ask that these men, these women here, whatever age they may be, they can still apply your truths to their life that they might shine like the stars and win many souls to you. Lord, I don't wanna sound like a health, wealth, prosperity gospel and praying for rewards, but Lord, if, if I don't get any rewards, I won't have any crowns to cast at your feet. So Lord, make, my, make the work that we do have, make the time that we do have profitable to yield forth gold, silver, and precious stones. Lord, may they be purified through your fire, enabled through your Holy Spirit, and made holy, righteous, that we may cast them at your feet. For you alone are worthy of all praise, honor, glory, dominion, and power. We ask these things in Christ, our co-heir, our husbandman, our Savior. Amen.